Okay, so we're continuing First John. Uh, today we're going to First John chapter three. The question I want to ask you today is this: Who do you love? Who do you love? And I know that most of us are going to say, if you are honest, the most automatic answer is going to be myself. Like I really want you to think about who do you love? Like who do you really love? I know you don't get asked that question a whole lot. But when you, I want you to sit back and think of who do I really love? You have family, maybe we say family, but do you really love them? If you have uh, friends, do you really love them? The reason why I want you to think about that is because the Bible is clear that love is the distinctive mark of a believer. We have this uh, convoluted uh, definition and uh, concept of love from the world. A lot of times we think, well, I can only love a few people. Or I should only love a few people. But when we look through scripture, we see that love is the, is the very mark that, that, that defines what a Christian is. That's the very mark that defines who God is, which we'll look at in a few weeks in 1 John chapter 4. It says God is love. It doesn't get any clearer than that. But there's a reason why God calls us to love. God calls us to love him with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and strength. God calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Paul said, of all three of these things, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is what? love right so it seems to me that love is a very big deal but yet that is the furthest away from what we think about on a day-to-day basis very rarely do we think about oh do i love this person am i love what every one of you who walk in this door to our worship service today you don't have to raise your hand how many of you actually thought about man i love these people in this room i just love them because christ loves them like that is not a question that we ask ourselves, and yet that is where John is taking us to. Like if you remember, John touched on this topic already. We just ended the first major section in the book of uh, First John, talking about God is light. And even talking about God is light, he talks about how we ought to love one another. In chapter 2, verse uh, 8 to 10, that you, if you don't love one another, you're not of Christ. And so what we're going to look at today is a very simple command, but yet one of the things that I really struggle in praying for us today is that we don't just take this for granted. Because we can just say, oh yeah, we're Christians, we should love, but in reality, we never actually take the initiative and action to love one another. And so if you want to know the notes, the bottom line of this message is simple, love one another. But just as basic, as foundational that might be to you and your faith in, in Jesus Christ, that sometimes can be the hardest thing for us to live out, to actually love one another as Christ has called us to love. And so today we're going to talk about what love is. So if you have your Bible again, please turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. There are two things I want us to see here from this passage. The first one is this, loving one another is a test. Loving one another is a test. We heard this language before. Before we talked about, John gave us these three tests. Obedience, love, and conviction. And someone made a really funny comment in our home group. Seems like uh, the person said, man, when I read through, we read through 1 John so many times now. It seems like first, uh, the Apostle John has ADHD. He just cannot get, get his mind straight. He's just going to go this thought, come back to this, come back to this thought. And he's just repeating himself over and over again. And here's the truth why he did that. You got to remember, the Apostle John was very old at that point. Now, I'm not saying because he's old, he repeated himself, okay? He's old and he's about to die. 
And you know what happens when you are looking, staring at death at the end of your life? You tend to make, make, uh, be careful what you say because you want to make sure the message you want to get across is the message that will last for a lifetime for those who are listening. Someone said this, lasting words, uh, last words are lasting words. And I believe the reason why John keeps hammering these points over and over again is not because he has spiritual ADHD. It's because those are the things that is utmost in his heart that he want to make sure the next generation of believers catch it and believe in it and live out to it. And one of which of those points is love one another. Because for the rest of this letter, he will keep coming back to this point. Love one another again and again and again. But in this portion of scripture, in chapter 3, verse 11 to 18, he will give us a summary. And the first point he makes is this. Loving one another is a test. Love is like the circulatory system in your body. You know what that is? Like blood. The reason why you're alive today partially is because there's blood in your body. What, what love is to a Christian is like blood to a physical body. Can you go next slide, please? Uh, there's a, a, this exhibit called Body Exhibit. You've ever been to it? Uh, they will show they, there's all these uh, that course <laughs> with no blood. That are showing different actions. And, and it's just amazing. If you t- you've ever been to that, you will see how amazing the, the muscular structure is. The, the circulatory, they will have the vessels of a body. It, it, it's just absolutely amazing to see how God created human being. And as impressive as that might be, you can walk around, spend hours, and it's like, wow, this is so amazing. When you walk out, at the end of the day, they, these are still dead people. Dead bodies. They're not breathing. They're not living. Because there's no blood in them. And the same is true that Paul, uh, John is going to make a point here. Is that love is that test in your life. You know how this is a, uh, a body is real? If you cut it, there's blood. And the same thing is true if we cut your spiritual body. If there's love flowing out, that's how you're going to know whether you're a believer or not. That's how you're going to know if your faith is real or not. And John tells us this love, this idea, this truth, this command to love one another is not from him. Because from verse 11, start right off, he says this. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. John mentioned it in chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 10, that we should love one another. But John did not originate it. If you remember that passage, that verse, is, he makes this really confusing thing. He said, I have an old command, but it's really not old. It's a new command, but also I kind of taught it before. He's like, is it older or new? We don't, you, know, you can't make up your mind. But the bottom line of that, that, that truth is this. There is a command to love one another. And it's not because John had this great idea. Man, loving one another would make the world a better place. That command of loving one another started even before John from the very beginning of time. God loved us. The very fact that we're created is out of love of God. And so John brought us back to that place and said, you need to love one another because if God is love, then how can his people not be about love at all? And John said, and then John went on and give us, uh, brought back this example. Just as love starts from Genesis chapter 1, he brought up this contrasting story in Genesis chapter 4 about Cain and Abel. Here's what it says. For this is a message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. He's going to give the contrast. Unlike Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. 
He brought us right back to the story, uh, the first story and first really murder story in Genesis chapter 4. If you're not familiar with the story, the story goes like this. Cain and Abel, they were brothers. One, both worship God, both offer a sacrifice to God. But yet we know later on from that story that God accepted Abel's sacrifice over Cain's sacrifice. In Hebrews 11, uh, chapter 11, we also know why. The reason is not because Cain gave a smaller portion of a sacrifice. Abel gave a bigger portion. It has nothing to do with size. But what it does matter is it has to do with what God expected them to give. Cain gave vegetables. And no, not because God is not vegetarian. He hates that. No, that's not the reason. God, Abel gave meat. It, costs, it, it requires killing of an animal. With foreshadow of killing of a lamb, with foreshadow of Christ dying on the cross, the blood. Again, you see the idea of blood is so important. Abel gave the, the sacrifice that God intended for, for him to give. Cain, on the other hand, did not. And so instead of being rebuked and listened to the Lord and obedience, Cain, it says in, the, in chapter 3, verse 12, Cain was of the evil one, murdered his brothers. The word literally slaughtered him. If you want a real word picture for that murder, is he literally slit his throat. That's how violent that crime, that sin was against his own flesh and blood brother. And John did not mince word here. He said this, Cain, who was what? Of the evil one. He got, uh, John tied in Cain's sin to his origin of being a child of the devil. See, he picked up in verse 10 that we read last week. If you go back a couple, couple verses up, verse 10 in chapter 3 says this. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. How do we know whether you're children of God or children of the devil? Here's what he says. Verse 10. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. See, John did not just kind of pat, pat Cain on the back. Oh, try better next time you just accidentally murder your brother. No, John put his finger on that sin and said, you are of the devil. And I don't think John did it because he wanted to shame him. But that's just the reality of truth of what murder is. What murder is, is a sin and it is an act of, uh, 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 of the devil. But when I look around here. Now, I'm making an assumption here. I don't see a lot of murder here. Perhaps you might be thinking, well, that's bad for Cain, good for me, because I'm a pretty good person. I haven't murdered anyone yet. So I'm still of the children of God. But you see, John knew that and kind of went on to say, it's not just the act of murder that is of the devil, that is of, of the children of the devil, but it is the, what's behind that act of murder. That is most important because God doesn't just judge the action. Because you go down a few verses in verse 13, chapter 3, verse 13. It says this, do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Keep an eye on the H word. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murder has eternal life residing in him. John is pointing out the fact that as you look at Cain, it is obvious that he is not of God. He killed somebody. John peeled back one layer 
and said, not only those who actually murder people, those, the reason why he murdered his brother from the beginning is because there is a motive of hate. That if you hate someone, which Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, you next slide please, verse 21, 22, Jesus himself clarified this for his disciples, which I think that's why John wrote this here, about this idea of hatred. If you hate someone, you're actually a murderer. Because in chapter 5, verse 21, Matthew says this, Jesus himself said, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. I think all of us would agree in that. But Jesus upped the ante a little bit of how we see sin. Verse 22, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister, another translation has it, anyone who hates his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, watch what you're saying to your brothers and sisters, okay, here. You fool will be subject to hellfire. See, Jesus peeled back and said, not, not only what your action is, what your heart is toward people. And in fact, if there's hatred toward people, there is no love of God in you. You are not part of God. He said, uh, John, uh, John said in 1 John chapter 3, there is no eternal life. There's no sign of life. Cain did not pass the test of love because he acted upon the hatred toward his brother. Out of jealousy, he acted upon that hatred. The word hate is actually a really strong word. I know like nowadays we use that word kind of pretty casually. I hear my kids saying all the time, I hate you, you took my, my gummy bear. Like I don't think they really feel like, I'm going to hate you, like hate that, that intense of a hate. But hate has more to do with just what we do to other people. Can you go to the next slide please? Hate is not just what we do, but hate has to do with how we see other people. How we, do, how, how we really view them. Yes, the act is a sin. Saying you fool is a sin. But Jesus pointing to a deeper thing, that your motivation of saying those things, doing those things, that ultimately, that hatred, that source of hatred, is really what is not of God. Jesus talked about hatred this way. And I want to ask you to think about this. See, hatred is not just what you do. It's not just cursing at someone. It's not just having bad thoughts about someone. Hatred ultimately comes down to how do you see that person? We know from the scripture, God sees everyone, sinners or not, to be people, creation, that are made in the image of God. So my question to you is this. How do we know whether we hate someone? Do you see that person made in the image of God? Do you see that there's intrinsic value and dignity, dignity in that person's life? Do you actually value that person? Or you can care less. Or worse yet, you want the worst for that person. See, when you start taking away value of that person that is, that is innately given to that person from God, because see, they're God's creation, you are hating that person. And God said, there's no way that you can say, you know me, because I'm a life giver. If you know me, if you have a relationship with me, hate cannot exist in a believer's life. Do you want good or bad for that person? See, God always wants the best for his creation. Do you decide to bless that person or curse that person? 
See, when our, our view of that person is filled with hatred, there's no place in our life that then we, we fail the test of love that God has set up for us. One thing I do want to say, though, in today's world, there is a way for us to mistake what hatred is. Because oftentimes we think of tolerance as the opposite of hatred. That we have this language of, man, we just accept everybody. That automatically means love. But I want us to be very careful. Tolerance does not automatically means love. Let me give you an example. For example, I can tolerate my kids to do whatever they want just because I just because I love them. It does not mean that I tolerate and accept whatever that they do, including bad things that they do. What kind of parent would I be if I just let my kids do whatever that they want? Tolerance does not equal to love. True love corrects discipline. And at the same time, do not do not think less of that person. See, there's a way for us, you see, there's a, there's a language in our culture that says, if you love someone, you, you tolerate except whatever that they do. That is not true. You can love someone even though they're doing the wrong thing. In fact, true love, Christ's love, will go the extra mile to help that person to turn around from the things that are harming that person. So do not be tricked by this world of thinking that, that if I love someone, I just let them do whatever that they want. But the moment you start thinking less of that person, that you start taking value from that person, that dignity from that person, that's where hatred starts. And when hatred starts, it's like weeds in your backyard. It just starts growing and taking control of you. And what happened is to Cain, he acted upon the hatred that was given. And John tells us in verse 14, that we know those of us who are believers, those of us who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, has passed from death to life. Because we love our brothers. That's the test. See, hatred always takes, but love always gives. Hatred always takes things away from people, takes lives away from people, but love always give, give and give and give. And that is what love does. Loving one is that test. Do you pass that test? Do you see yourself? Loving one, again, we're, I, I find myself repeating all, all the time and I'm preaching through this series that we're not talking about perfection, but we're talking about progression. Do you find yourself loving one another or do you find yourself start degrading other people, looking down on people, taking value away from people, seeing people less of who they are meant to be for, by God? And that's also the first thing I want us to see. Love is a test but not only is love a test love is also a duty love is what we're called to do love is what we're commanded to do because in first john three sixteen, john tells us this is what we should do because we belong to christ so not only does love show that we belong to christ love also is what the product the result is when we believe in jesus verse first uh, john three sixteen. <coughs> this is how we have come to know love he laid down his life for us we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters i want you to circle the word we should also lay down our lives that is a command that is a duty that's what we're supposed to do why should we do that because the, the verse says very clearly the reason why we should do it is because christ has already laid down his life for you and i Christ died for you so that you can die for other people. Christ loved you so that you can love other people. 
I find this to be one, this verse to be one of the most supernaturally ordained verse. Because most of us know John 3.16. So if you go to the next slide, you see John 3.16. And let's read that together. One, two, three. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Go back to one slide before. First John 3.16. Here's what it says. Let's read that together. That is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Don't these two verses sound almost exactly the same? Oh, by the way, it's by the same author. And it's in the same chapter and verse. But when John first wrote it, there's no chapter and verse. Isn't it crazy that of all the chances that God could put together his own word, John wrote the uh, gospel of John, the letter of John is two separate times, somehow counting the verses and chapter number, however, however the people later on put it in, it happens just so that John 3.16 is almost the same thing as 1 John 3.16. And John 3.16 tells us the demonstration of God's love. How God shows us his love, how did he show us? By dying on the cross. 1 John 3.16 tells us the reason for that. Why do we need to do that? Because he wants to lay down our lives so that we can lay down our lives to other people. I love how someone said this. Can you go to the next slide? We don't understand what true love is until we see the cross of Jesus Christ. We will never understand what love is. Until we see the cross of Jesus Christ. Because you can learn love from your parents. You can learn love from, from a volunteer. You can learn love from uh, your TV programming. You can learn love in all sorts of places. But until you really see the love of Christ on the cross. You will never fully understand love. Because every single instance of love in this world. involves incomplete imperfect people. But Christ's love comes from an perfect person there are three things i want you to see if you're taking notes the first thing we see from christ's love is this that christ's love at uh, christ's death is vicarious is vicarious this is a, a big word that means that he does it for other people christ's death is vicarious i, I purposely chose these verse from john chapter 10 because these are the same words from the same author that we're reading from from uh first john here so here's what it says um Christ's death is vicarious in the sense that he did it not for himself. He did it all for you and I, sinners. For uh, John chapter 10, verse 10, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come. Why did he come? So that they, people like you and I, sinners, may have life and have it in abundance. So Jesus has nothing to gain by dying on a cross for us. We got everything to gain. His death is vicarious. What kind of love have you seen in this world that is all about you? I think the closest thing I can think of is when parents give birth to their children. That's as close as I can think of. But yet, Jesus had no business, no need to die for us if he didn't want to. It's vicarious. Second thing is this, second V, is that Christ's death is voluntary. No one put a gun to his head and said, Jesus died for these people. He volunteered his life. The perfect God the perfect, the perfect son of God volunteers life. John chapter 10, verse 11, the verse right after we read earlier. I am the good shepherd. Jesus called himself. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus volunteered himself. 
for you and I. And even at the Garden of Eden, when there's moment of resistance, he's like, let if, uh, even he was feeling the pain of bearing the sin of the whole world. He was praying to God, take this cup away from me. Yet he was praying, not as I will, but you will. God the Father will. He voluntarily died for us. What kind of law have we seen in this world? That, would be, that, that, that the person who got wrong will volunteer to die for those who have wronged his enemy. No, so not only was it vicarious, it's voluntary. Here's the third one. The last one is Christ's death is victorious. Christ's death is the final score that got settled. You can't take it away. He paid our sins in full. His work is finished. It cannot be undone. Even when you have a bad day not walking with Jesus, it cannot undo what Christ has done on the cross for you. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are secure in his love. Look at the promise in John chapter 10, verse 28. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. If you go down two verses in verse 30, it says, no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. That's how secure our salvation is, how assured we can be. If we put our faith in Jesus, it will cause us to be victorious in the future and both in now. That nothing, no one can take us out of God's hand. And that is the type of, that's why we need to see clearly the love of Jesus in order for us to understand why we must love another. The bottom line is this. If you are really, if you really understand God's love in your life, you have plenty of space to give love to other people. Because you no longer depend on other people for love for you anymore. Jesus' love is enough. Jesus' love is satisfactory for you. It is filling up you to the brim. You don't need to depend on people for significance, joy, or purpose. Christ is enough. And as such, all of a sudden, you have all these stuff to give. An example I give a lot is this. I wear contacts. When my contact uh, bottle gets really low, I start getting really Chinese about getting onto the case. Because when I know that it's low, I don't have any more in my house. So I just kind of drop just enough to barely cover my contact that I know is cleaning it. And then just close it. And hopefully I will last for tomorrow and I'll go buy a new one. But when I get a new bottle from Sam's Club, you know what I do? I just hose that thing down go and fill that to the brim. I don't care if I waste some. Because I have a full bottle. I know if I squirt and, and dump it twice, I still have a whole bottle left. That's what God is telling us. If you understand his love, that's what, that's what you would do. You would naturally want to give to others. You would naturally want to love other people. Because you have so much love in you that is from God. So let me give you three practical ways that you can love other people. Here's the first one. As we finish in the last two verses here, in verse 17. Love, the first thing you can do is this. Love gives. Love gives. Loves involve you giving. Giving yourself out to people, giving your time to people, giving your money to people, giving your effort to people. Giving up your own inconvenience so that you can give your time to other people. Verse 17, if anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? If you see someone in this room who is your brother and sisters who are of the same church, the local body of believers, the verse says if you don't show, want to do anything to give to that person, perhaps God's love is not residing in you. Love requires us to give. And how do, you know, how do we know what to give? You got to pay attention. 
Let me ask you a question. Do you know what your family needs? From the most basic of things to the, their emotional, spiritual needs. What do your friends need? What do your teachers need? What do your coworkers need? What do the people you're sitting next to need? If we don't know them, if we don't engage in them, we would not know what to give. And if we don't give, on the other side, we don't love. There are two things that uh, I often say this to, to the people I disciple. There are two things that says a lot about your life, about who you are. How you spend your time and how you spend your money. Show me your bank account. Show me your calendar. I'll tell you what kind of person you are. And if love is about giving, then I wonder how have we been using our money? How have you been using our time? And I want to challenge you this week. Pay close attention to those two things. Who am I spending time with? Who am I spending time for? How am I spending my money? Who am I spending the money on? That will tell you everything you need to know about your love or lack thereof. So the first thing is love gives. Here's the second one. Love acts. Not pretend. Love acts. It involves action. You have to do something. Little children, verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. So love it cannot be something you just talk about. Love is, it needs to be something that you actually do. I'm, I'm recently reading a book. Actually, the book title is Love Does. It's a fascinating book. It's a Christian book. But uh, talking about how this older gentleman who started practicing literally what Jesus calls him to do in love. And it's not rocket science. And all of a sudden he realized, man, when I do what Jesus commands me to do, I tend to love people quite well. You see, love is not just what we say, what we talk about. It's what we do. We need to act upon our love. This is why I was so concerned about this message is because we can walk away here and say, man, love is such a great idea. And yet we walk out here, some of you will go into the car with your parents, and instantly that love is emptied out from, from you. Or some of us who have kids, we go, go talk to our kids after this service, and we will look at them and they start doing something not up to our, 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 our standard, not up to what we want them to do. Instantly that love is zapped out of us. Because it is easy to say, I love you, but it is all too hard to, to actually do the loving. So our actions need to be louder than our words. Here's the third one. We need to act, we need to give, we need to love acts, and love gives. Here's the third one. Love makes our lives about other people. And I know you're thinking, duh, like Ben, of course. But I, the reason why I ask you the first question is this, who do you love the most? And a lot of times... If we're honest, if we look at our money, we look at our time, we look at our attitude, who do we love the most? Oh yeah, it's love, but it's loving ourselves the most. It's loving my own self the most. It's that love, oh for sure it's love. It's just not the type of love that Jesus commanded us to do. See, love ought to be about others. Someone once said this, self-preservation is the first law of physical life. We naturally want to preserve ourselves, to protect ourselves. But self-sacrifice is the first law of spiritual life. I'll run that through again. First, self-preservation is the first law of physical life. We're born to watch out for ourselves. Just come to my house and look at my three-year-old. By the way, he was the one who did the fries thing yesterday. Naturally, he will want to keep the fries to himself. 
But here's the thing. Self-sacrifice is the first law of spiritual life. You want, you want to know if you have real life in Jesus Christ? You're not looking out for yourself anymore. You're, you're willing to sacrifice for other people because that's what Jesus did for you. You guys all heard of the golden rule, right? What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you want to be done to you, right? So that's a golden rule. But that's not really Jesus' rule. Because at the end of the day, you do to other people so that you, who can benefit? You. Right? Let's do, I'm going to be nice to you at the end of the day because I want you to be nice to me. That is a self-centered self-preservation. Someone else kind of witty and come up with another rule called platinum rule. You guys heard of that? Treat others as they want to be treated. So that sounds like super good. Like sounds like Oprah Winfrey, right? That's such a good idea. Treat other people just like they want to be treated. But what if that person wanted to treat you badly? What if Terrence like, just treat me badly. I just love to be treated badly. Is it right for me to treat him badly? No. That sounds kind of silly. While it sounds really nice. But I want to throw out a different rule for you. I coined this, so I don't know how, 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 how sticky it is for you. But I put it on your paper. The title of this sermon is this. Diamond Rule. Why do I call it diamond rule? Because most people think of diamond, they think it's a representative of, of love in a marriage. They want diamond ring, right? Beyonce sing about that, right? So I call it diamond rule is this because diamond rule, what is diamond rule? Diamond rule is love others as Jesus has loved you. Love others as Jesus loved you. Don't look at that person, how much you should love them. Don't look at yourself, how much you should love other people. Look at Jesus, Look at what he has done for you. Then you are, you are willing to sacrifice the same thing for other people. And the moment when we don't look at Jesus' love, when we forget his love for us, we're going to start looking at that person. Are you worth my love? Or I'm going to look at myself. Am I worth the love that I show to other people? But Jesus said, no. You need to look at my love. Because I have laid down my life, verse 16 again. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for others. If Jesus, if you really believe Jesus laid down his life for you, are you willing to obey his command to lay down your life for other people? Let me add a little story for you. Many of you have heard of the Salvation Army. Uh, there is one really close by in uh, uh, St. Gabriel, uh, a church uh, part of the church for St. Gabriel, uh, part of the church of the Salvation Army. And uh, you don't know, uh, Salvation Army, they found William Booth. Uh, once sent this one-word telegram. Back then, telegram is a lot more expensive, so they don't go long paragraphs, kind of like tweet, uh, Twitter before, before Twitter uh, happened in this world. So they just sent a really concise message. And that one message he sent to all the volunteers all over the world, all the Salvation Army workers, is this word. Others. Others. He sent that word because he wanted to make sure every single Salvation Army workers and volunteers remember that the reason why they're there is because they are there for other people. They're not there to rack up volunteer hours. They're not there to make a living. They're not there for themselves, but they live to serve and love others. And that message got tested on 1914 and May 29th. On this particular boat, Empress of Ireland, it was considered to be the Canadian Titanic. And we all know how that ended for Titanic. But here's what happened. Many, many people died on that day. 109 of those officers, uh, Salvation Army officers, were drowned. And when they were picking up their bodies, 
what they realized was that every single one of those volunteers and workers from Salvation Army did not have a life vest on. And so the people start wondering, how come they didn't put that on? It's not like it was not on a boat. And there are very few survivors left in that, in that, uh, uh, that crash and that drowning. And a few of those survivors ended up telling the story that how every single Salvation Army workers, seeing that there were not enough life preservers on the boat, they proceeded to give theirs to other people. Even strong men and women that they know can probably survive in swimming, they gave up theirs to give it to them. And by giving to them, he, he, he told them this, I can die better than you do. Because they know that they have salvation in Jesus. They know that their, their, their bottle is full, their love is filled up by the love of Christ, that now they can die better to go to heaven. But you, on the other hand, you don't know Jesus, they know that you need, you need this life preserver more than they do. So every single one of them, give it to other people and willing to sacrifice their own life to really give another chance for somebody else's life. As we end today, I want to ask you, do you think you can die better than other people? Not in a prideful way, but do you, are you secure in who you are in Christ? that now you're willing to give your life preserver to somebody else. Because Jesus said through John, loving one another is a test. Loving one another is also a command. Here's what I want us to do. Why don't we close our eyes? We're going to sing one last song.